For our time of instruction this morning, let's turn in our New Testaments to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35, which is kind of a famous passage, you might say. I mean, all passages God breathed and comes from God. It's all good. But uh, this is one that it would be great to memorize, actually. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we open his word. Lord, as we open the, the scriptures, <coughs> Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds? Lord, it's us. And uh, we, are, we are who we are this morning. We do love you. Would you show us your love and let it make a difference that we might love and learn to love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the upper room, the same upper room that Judas went out of and went to betray Jesus, the same upper room that the Lord's Supper was originally given, in the upper room, Jesus lit the fuse of the most powerful thing in the entire world. And that thing that he began in the upper room addresses the deepest need of our hearts. It addresses what we truly crave more than anything. And Jesus not only set this in motion, but he chose the exact right vehicle to bring this need, to bring this blessing to the world. What was this great thing that Jesus set in motion in the upper room? Here it is. He gave what he called a new commandment in the upper room. A new commandment I give you. And that commandment is love one another. And Jesus commanded love between believers as proof of the reality, living proof of the reality of Jesus' love to the world. And so let's read our text. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so I just like to look at this from three different angles, this new commandment. What is it and why is it new? Secondly, what does it look like? How's it supposed to work? And then thirdly, what difference does it really make? What is it? How's it supposed to look? What difference does it really make? So first is, what is this new commandment that Jesus gives? A new commandment I give you to love one another. And I think the first thing we would say is, is hey, Jesus, this doesn't really sound new. Uh, in fact, wasn't it you that said the greatest commandment? And you, he lifted this right out of the Old Testament. The greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. But this is a new commandment. This is not the great commandment. It's the new commandment. And I'll tell you what was new about it. What was new was who this was given to. 
the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. This was given to individuals. This was given to you basically to love everybody you come into contact with. Love your neighbor. The, The new commandment is given to a specific group of people and they are the only group of people on earth that even have a chance to fulfill this new commandment. The new commandment was given to his disciples. The new commandment was given to us, to the church. And it is to believers, it is to people who have put their trust in Jesus, who understand and know the love of God, that actually have a chance to love one another in this particular way that the world might see the reality of this one another love in our lives. But it was new for other reasons. It was new because in the ancient world, no group of people had ever been able to cross over the barriers that were so rigidly kept in place in that society. Barriers between races, barriers between cultures, barriers between classes of people, barriers between slave and free people. And the new commandment given to the church obliterates all of this. Now there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There's no barbarian. There's, you know, now it is is a group. And the world had never seen this. Jews don't hang out with Gentiles. And there are certain groups of people that Romans wouldn't hang out with and people of different classes. I mean, you know, when you were born in the ancient world, you know how we say you're born in America and everybody could be president one day. That wasn't true in the Roman Empire. Of course, there was an emperor, not a president. I mean, yeah, every once in a while you read a story of some kind of upward mobility, but there is no upward mobility in the Roman Empire. You are what you are, and you stay where you are, and you don't mix with people that aren't where you are, you see. And the world looks at this group of people and this new commandment and the love that has just broken down the barriers and brings people together. It is unheard of. It's startling, actually. And there are lots of non-biblical sources that we can still read that, that, that kind of reflect how startling this really was. So this is the world changing thing Jesus unleashed in the upper room. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. So that's what it is. It's given to the church, love one another. But how does it work? Why is it different from other commands to love? What what does it look like? In a word from the text, it looked like Jesus' love. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you see. You also are to love one another. Um, the word here is the, the Greek word agapao, which is kind of the, the action word for the noun agape, which is the noun for love, the kind of love that Jesus brings to love one another, to agape one another. And we've been looking at what this love looks like every week. It's been very challenging to me, I'll tell you that. But agape love is sacrificial love. Agape love is not a negotiated love. 
It's a love of the will. It's a love of a prior choice to give, to love, to sacrifice, irrespective of what is given back. Agape love is an amazing thing, you see. It is a choice that is going to cost you every single time. And that's why it's called love. It's self-forgetting. It's other-centered. It's sacrificial. Some people just call it gift love. And the example, of course, in our text is Christ himself. As I have loved you, you also should love one another. And, and of course, as we read back into the Scriptures, we, we now see that the, the cross, of course, is the greatest example of agape. You want to know the best definition of love? best definition of love is the most famous verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, that's what agape is. It's giving. God so loved the world that He sent. God so loved the world that He gave. God so loved the world that He sacrificed. And Jesus gave and Jesus sacrificed. What we read is that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. That's what it looks like. And you know, for for people who have put their trust in Christ, for believers in Christ, to focus on Christ's love, particularly on on the cross, has this way of lifting us out of all these other definitions of what love might be. It it lifts us to see there is one monument for sure that you can always look at, you can always check, always be reminded. It not only lifts us above this selfishness, it inspires us to something that could be beyond ourselves, could be out of ourselves to other people like Jesus. And I want to ask this question. Do we recognize that love? If you've put your trust in Christ, do you recognize that love in your life right now? Do we know it? Do we realize that we are forgiven because of that love? That we are adopted and we will always be loved by God through the blood of Jesus? Are we awestruck that God would give himself Agape for us. Are we astonished? Are you astonished? I mean, that that is exactly what the cross should make us. It it should just lead us to an astonishment. Why? Answer, don't know. Love. God's choice. God's giving. God's self-sacrifice. Jesus' self-offering for us. Do we realize that the Holy Spirit... If you've put your trust in Jesus right now, it's lifting up the glory of Jesus, lifting up the love of Jesus, lifting up the meaning of the cross. That's what he does. He he lifts up Jesus in our lives. Do, Do we know that the Holy Spirit right now is working the love of Christ into our lives? The Holy Spirit is working the very life of Christ into our lives for us to be able to live it out. Great example of that is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. That's good news. My sins have been taken away because of Christ's death. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen to this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's the whole point of what's going on in our lives. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And what is thou that about? Who loved me and gave himself for me. The love that Jesus commands here, a new commandment I give you to his church, is love like that. Just as I have loved you, you also must love one another. So that's kind of what it's like. It's self-sacrificial love. But it looks like something else. And, and, and this has to do with the word one another. Can you see kind of a relationship here? One another means there's, there's a, re- a reciprocity of this kind of, of love. I, I'd like to call it, if you don't mind, a loop of love. You got that, a loop? People loving one another. But this is where it gets really interesting. Because Jesus' kind of love is actually not a loop the way we normally think of loving somebody in a relationship with them. We think of the loop something like this. You know, I will will love you if you love me. I'll bargain some love with you. You know, and if you love me a little bit more, I'll I'll come out and love you a little more. Or maybe I'll love you a little more. Or maybe you love me a little more. But if you withhold love from me, let me tell you something. I will back out on you. I'll be passive-aggressive. I'll be aggressive. Whatever it takes to protect myself, I will reduce the love that I am willing to bring to this loop. That's not the new command. No, the context of this passage helps us understand what this looks like. When you flip over in the Bible to John 13, that's the chapter we're in, the first thing you read, if if some of our Bibles have like, you know, title, you know, paragraph headings, first thing you read is, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. How sweet. No, this is stunning. Nobody saw this coming in the upper room. No, it's a slave that washes the feet. It's the lowest person that washes the feet. It's not the master. It's not the teacher. It's the lowest. And Jesus shocks everybody. It says Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off his outer garments. He wraps them around his waist. Can you see this? Like a servant. He takes a a basin with water. He takes something like a towel. And Jesus, the Son of God, gets down on his hands and knees and begins to wash their feet. And, of course, you know that there weren't, like, sidewalks everywhere. It's very dusty. Of course, you know they didn't wear closed shoes like I'm wearing. They wore sandals. These were dirty feet. This is the Son of God on his hands and knees, and he is scraping the crud off of people's toenails. He is, with his fingers, he is washing the stuff between their toes. We're talking about the whole foot is being cleaned by Jesus. He is washing the dirt off of the soles, the top, the back of these feet. In fact, Peter was so outraged and scandalized by this, Peter said, no, it's not right. You're the greatest. 
You will never wash my feet. And Jesus looked at him and said, Unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. Because this is what it is like. We learn that it is that Jesus did this to, quote, show them the full extent of his love. This is what it means to show what real love is. The full extent of his love because he, quote, loved them to the end. This is humble love. This is willful love. This is agape love. And here's the thing. It is believers who have an opportunity to do this. There's not another group of people on the planet that even remotely have a shot at this kind of love, at this kind of agape loop, you see. If that other person is also a believer in Christ, if they too have experienced the love of Jesus through the cross, if agape literally defines their new life, and this is love, because they have experienced it and the forgiveness of it and, and, the, and the closeness of it. And you have experienced that. Now we have an opportunity, you see, to, to love. You know, maybe a way to put this is, you know, see this kind of loop, you know, people loving one another, believers loving one another. Let's look at it a different way. Is love a two-way street or is love a one-way street? The answer is both. The true answer is this. Love is a one-way street. It is a decision that I make regardless of what I get back. Now, what is so amazing about this, and this is why it's to the church, is when you love somebody irrespective, willfully, out of sacrifice and choice, and they do the same thing to you, can you see the power in that? That looks like a two-way street, isn't it? That's because two one-way streets are fully in operation. And Jesus shows them the full extent of his love by getting down on his knees, sacrificing and giving, even when they say, no, you shouldn't. No, this is what it is defined by. It is defined by a choice. It is defined by will. It is defined by service. It is defined by gift. And Jesus is saying that we... The church, we are to bring something to the table and not just look for something at the table of love. We bring love to the table. You don't just go to the table looking for it. Jesus is saying we are to be love, not just seek love. Everybody seeking love and nobody being love is a problem. And everybody negotiating love and withdrawing love and pouring a little bit on here. And that's rooted in fear. And what you might not get tomorrow if you don't come to the table and and make a deal with me. Now this, this is agape love. This is the, what I call the agape loop. So is, is agape, is this agape loop, is it, is it reciprocal or is it unilateral? Yes. It is first unilateral, a decision, and then it is reciprocal, and it is rare. That's why when Jesus lit this fuse, it's the most powerful thing that's ever been let loose in the entire world, ever. It is so rare 
It's a unique kind of flow. And it's given to believers. Notice this is not given to a husband and wife because the husband or the wife might not be a believer. You can't have the agape loop without everybody being a believer. It's not given to parents and children. You know why? Because one of the parents or one of the children might not be a believer. No, Jesus has given this to the group of people who actually have a chance to pull it off. And the incredible blessing and power and joy and closeness that comes from agape being turned loose with people is amazing. So, what is it? It's a new commandment given to the church. Smashes down barriers. What's it look like? It looks like Jesus' love, like the cross. It's the agape loop of unilateral gift love given one to another. Lastly, what difference does it make? That's verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Oh, it makes a huge difference. Because this is the mark of the Christian, Francis Schaeffer said. This is the badge of the believer. You want to self-identify as a real Christian? This is how you do it. And you know what's so cool about this? Is Jesus Christ set up the panel of judges on us to be the world. How do you like that? People on the outside are set up to hold up their cards one to ten. And 10 means that, it, that it's, it's, it's agape love. And so absolutely it makes a difference because they simply will judge whether we have Christ's love or not based on whether they see it. And when they see it, it is revolutionary. You know, there was a great worship song in the 70s. Uh, we still sing it every once in a while. Um, it kind of goes, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love, right? You've been to camp. You know this, right? Yeah. It's the badge of the Christian. What did it look like then? Like dynamite. Like beautiful gospel dynamite. Like people coming to Jesus left and right because the deepest need that we have is love real love from God and real agape love. The early church father, Tertullian, famously wrote about this. There's all these writings from the the early church. And this one's really interesting because uh, when Tertullian was writing this, there was some persecution going on and really kind of more concern at this point and a little persecution. But um, the Roman government was really starting to get concerned about Christianity. And the first reason they were concerned is there were a lot of people becoming Christians. Secondly, they were concerned because none of them would bow down to a statue of the Roman emperor like everyone else. Thus, the persecutions. And so, you know, they're trying to make sense of of what's going on here. And so evidently what happened during those days is the Roman government sent some for lack of a better word, sent some spies into the church to kind of pretend like they're Christians to, to try to figure out what's going on. And evidently, one of these spies became a Christian and told Tertullian everything that was going on. And Tertullian writes about this. Isn't this, isn't this like intrigue? Isn't this fascinating? And so this is what the report, and I'm just going to um, 
kind of give you some of my own words to make it go a little quicker than some of the ancient writing. Basically, he says this. I'll say, quote, these Christians are very strange. Yeah, that's good. That's good. These Christians are very strange. They meet together in an empty room to worship. They do not have an image, meaning there's not a, it's just, just them. And there's no Roman emperor image. There's no image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus Christ who is absent, this is fascinating, and seem to be expecting him at any time. They're talking about the second coming. But it gets down to this. But I have never seen anything like how these people are able to love. And here's the famous sentence. I'll put it back into Tertullian's exact words, okay? Behold, see how they loved him, Jesus. Behold how they love one another. That's it. You wanted to know in the early church, not understanding all these weird things about Christianity to to you, you want to know what it's really like? Behold how they love one another. The new commandment is rolling. A new commandment I give you, love one another just as I've loved you. Love one another. This is how all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And people came to Christ in droves. At the height of the Diocletian uh, persecution, uh, this is like one of the high watermarks of persecution in the Roman Empire, it is estimated that fully one-tenth of the Roman Empire had become Christian. And you die if you're discovered. But you know what people were saying? I would rather die than to live without this love. I have discovered it. I have tasted it. I have seen it. And I would rather die than live without it. I would rather die than give it to others. This is the meaning of life. Isn't that refreshing? This is amazing is what it is. The church doesn't always pass this test, though. I mean, obviously in the early church, the blood of the martyrs became the seed. People getting killed left and right. That agape loop was just powerfully rolling, right? But the church doesn't always pass this test, and, and everybody struggles with love. So I want to ask, what about us in 2015? What does the watching world, our panel of judges, say about us and the way we love one another? Do they see the agape loop? And if not, why not? I'd like to... Take a kind of a glancing blow, if you will, at, at an answer to that question by actually going back to the first century. And what I'd like to do is look at what some of the competing philosophers, some of the competing ideas with Christianity were saying that the values of life in the Roman Empire, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into like 10 points on Epicureanism and Stoicism. Don't go to sleep on me, okay? But this is fascinating. And there's a book called The Influence of Christ in the Ancient World by T.R. Glover. 
that writes about the differences between these philosophies and religions and Christianity. Here's the problem. As I read a few sentences, I think we struggle with being more like the Epicureans and the Stoics than being like Jesus. I could just put it in a sentence. Sometimes we do not want our lives, our peace, to be disturbed by love. Let me say that again. Sometimes we don't want our lives and our peace to be disturbed by love or what that might mean. Glover says the Epicureans and the Stoics had laid stress on the, quote, undisturbedness and freedom from entangling emotion for the human person. Highest value? Erase everything that takes away my peace. Erase everything that would threaten me, that would entangle me into emotions, that would draw me in to something that I wouldn't want to do. There's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And still today, we are tempted by this. We, you, me, we are tempted to navigate the world in such a way that people and situations do, will not have a great effect on us and will not disturb the lives that we are trying to live the way we want to live them. Francis Schaeffer in 1977 said there are two basic values of modern man. They are personal peace and affluence. And he is just reading right out of contemporary culture, which is right out of ancient culture as well. Here's what he said in 1977. He said, personal peace. By this, I mean, I want to be left alone. And I don't care what happens to the man across the street or across the world. I want my own lifestyle undisturbed even regardless of what it might mean for my own children and my grandchildren, meaning there are seeds of destruction and death in that, and I don't care because this is the life I am protecting. What it means is self-protection, not self-giving. What it means is living out stoic values and not the new commandment. Do you understand? Is this not a struggle? For all of us. I mean, finally, which do we want our lives to be about? The Soic sidestep or the agape loop? Selfishness or self-forgetting other-centered gift love? It's a great thing to think about. It's a great moment to begin to ask questions about my, my, yours, all of our lives and the way we live them and why we live them that way. And is this the new commandment in action? C.S. Lewis famously said very, something very similar in his book, The Four Loves, and the fourth love is agape that he defines. You ought to read that book. It's called The Four Loves. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. To love at all, agape, is to be vulnerable. To love anything, lo love anything, and your heart will be wrung out and possibly even broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must not give it to anyone and not even to an animal, a pet. Wrap your heart carefully around with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. And in essence, it will kill you as a real human being made by God. We don't have to live like that. A new command I give you. Agape one another. Just as I have agaped you. So you should love one another. And this is how people will know. Our lives to be lived Christianly cannot be about self-protection finally at the end of the day as much as we struggle with it. But self-giving. And Jesus' new command releases self-focus. And that's scary. And it leads not only to love, but it leads to true joy and the only real meaning a human being will ever have. To know God and His love and relationship and to be able to love others with that love. And it's the only way that the world will ever see real love. There's a wonderful story about a missionary named Donald Frazier. He spent his whole life in Africa. He and his family, I mean, they just poured it out with the native people. And finally, after I don't know how many years, let's say 60 years, I don't know. Finally, after an entire life of being poured out, he went home. So there was kind of a tearful goodbye and you know African culture, there was lots of ceremonies. And so he goes home. You're never going to see them again. And the most remarkable letter came in the mail one day. It was a letter that the elders of the church had sat down to write, and it was a very lengthy letter. It was a tear-stained letter. And, and basically in the letter, they were just profusely thanking him for pouring out his life, he and his family, for, for being so generous to people that they had never known before from a different culture, for, for being so sacrificial. And, and as he had gone away from them, the clarity of his love and their love and Jesus' love for them became so stark. And they went on to write that they believed that this type of love that they learned from him as he taught it from the scriptures, was supposed to be the standard kind of love in the Christian life. And, and this, this long letter ends with the most haunting sentence. And I want to read it to you. They said, We are ashamed that we have not caught the infection of a heart like yours. 
please pray for us that we too might learn to love. Hey, could you add another person to that prayer? Me? Could you add yourself? And do you know the church and the church alone is the school where we learn to love and we don't always get it right and there's always forgiveness. There's always mercy and we're learning to love as His love is at work in our hearts. So as we come to the table, isn't it great that communion is today? Because communion is about the cross, right? We're going to remember the agape love that, that Jesus loved us with. Let's ask Jesus, I'm talking about personally, to show us the full extent of His love and what it means on the cross. Bread equals love. Wine equals love because bread and wine equal cross. And let's ask Jesus, the risen Christ, who will be with us in a very special way that He said He would be to commune with us. Let's ask Him to not only show us His love, but let's ask Him to give us a hunger for His love in our lives. And let's ask Him to give us a hunger to show love to one another. That the world might thirst and come to Jesus through the reality of love, even through us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would lift up Christ, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you that you gave us this supper so we would not forget. Thank you that as we hold physical bread and physical fruit of the vine, we remember that you actually came here in a body. You literally took our place. You literally were nailed to a cross and crucified in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and we are free. But would you awaken us, not only to your love, but would you awaken love, agape love, within us, and therefore convey to us joy and meaning as we love others. In Jesus' name, amen.